Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. When you look at the soil surface of a crop field, there isn't much action going on. It's about as exciting as watching paint dry. But underneath it, there is a war raging. Soil microbes like bacteria and fungi are continually slugging it out for food and dominance. Some of them are the bad guys, but many are heroes since they help with tasks such as transferring crop nutrients or pest control. And jumping into the melee are microbial and biological products that have the potential to help farmers better manage nutrients and kill the pests. Joining me on this podcast are Eric Ward and Scott Euknis, co-founders and CEOs of Ag Biome Incorporated, a North Carolina-based company that discovers and develops innovative biological and trait products for crop protection. Eric and Scott, welcome, and uh, just kind of introduce yourselves a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, sure. This is Eric. I've worked in the ag biotech industry for over 30 years now, been with big companies and small ones, and uh, was involved in helping get AgBiome started um, just about seven years ago when Scott asked me if I wanted to help him out. And this is Scott Euknis, and I uh, grew up in Illinois, worked on a farm in Ashton County for a couple years in college, met Eric Ward on the first day of graduate school at Washington University in St. Louis in 1982, and we've been working on and off ever since. So what are microbes and biologicals? We don't see them. What do they do? So microbes are all the little living things that you can't see that are all around us all the time. And they're pretty much covering everything that we encounter. They're all over our bodies. They're inside our bodies. They're on the surface of everything. And as you mentioned in the intro, they're all over in the soil. So the typical tablespoon of soil would have up to a billion microbes in it, little cells of organisms that we can't see. Some of them will degrade the carbon that's left over from like corn stove or things like that, and others will cycle nitrogen, and others will make an association with the plant and become so-called endophytes, meaning they live inside the plant. And they do things like help the plant survive things, or in our case, for our products like Howler, it protects the plant against fungal diseases. Talk about the good microbes and the bad microbes and fungi and bacteria and so forth. I had mentioned that there's kind of a war raging. What are the good ones that we want to keep and some of the bad ones that we'd like to get rid of? It's a really excellent point. That's kind of how we talk about it, too. These things have been around for going on three and a half billion years, and they've been basically committing germ warfare against each other the whole time. So the bad ones, of course, would be things like the diseases of crops that we're all familiar with or the pathogens that make us sick. The good ones are ones that we can identify useful properties of, and that's kind of the whole basis of how we discover stuff here at the company. We identify microbes that have beneficial properties for crop protection. So we screen them against the insects and diseases and nematodes and weeds that you might encounter in your field and find ones that have potent ability to control those. Where do you get them from? How do you develop one? So what we do is we go to growers' fields and friends of ours and associates that we have And we've selected microbes from all 50 states in the United States as well as in several African countries. And those samples of soil and plant material are sent back to us here in North Carolina. And we carefully isolate the individual microbes from those samples. 
and then we purify them so there's just one microbe in every sample, and then we sequence every gene that's present in every microbe. And that's a unique thing we do at AgBiome that gives us a lot of intellectual and artificial intelligence power later on to select for even more powerful and more curative microbes in the future. So all of that information is stored in our database and the strains themselves, the individual microbes, are stored in a very, very cold refrigerator under a specialized environment. How long do they last in the fridge? Uh, at minus 80 degrees centigrade, they last indefinitely. We make a copy. So we have 75,000 strains now. That collection is going to grow to be about a million in three years. And we keep one copy here at AgBiome and another copy off-site away from here. So in case there's a hurricane or something, we always have a viable collection. You talked about sequencing the genes. How's that done? So that's a technology that we take advantage of from the Human Genome Project, Jody. So if, you, if you've kept up with this stuff at all over the last several years, you know that it's now commonplace for people to be able to get all the DNA in their cells sequenced for something that's approaching a reasonable price now for like a couple thousand bucks. Ten years ago, that was a billion-dollar undertaking. So there's been this dramatic revolution in our ability to sequence DNA through some fundamental technology leaps that kind of mirror the way computer technology has leapt ahead. So the cost of sequencing DNA is about a million-fold cheaper now than it was even 10 years ago. So we're able to very cost-effectively to get the complete genome of every one of the microbes in our collection, as Scott mentioned. So how do you mix genes and microbes together for a specific purpose? Can you do that? Yeah, you can. The way we've worked up until now is to identify naturally occurring microbes that have the right combinations of genes in them already. And that's one of the big advantages of having this complete genome sequence of every one. You can look for specific combinations of genes that you know are responsible for the activity you want, like an insect control property or disease control property, and simply screen for the ones that already have those in there rather than having to stick them in artificially. We also have a business in developing traits. These are you know, biotechnology traits that are, are used to make corn or soybean varieties that have these you know, insect control or herbicide tolerance. And so we use some of the genes from the microbes that Eric was mentioning that we sequence to make unique traits that way. And we have a fantastic partnership with a company called Genective where we're developing those traits for corn and soybean. I imagine this is not an exact science yet. You guys are facing some hurdles such as weather and soil disturbances. Talk about some of those and how that affects how these things are going to work in the soil. Yeah, any grower can tell you how hard it is to be a grower, right? When you're trying to run an operation that your job and your family's future depends on, you're always confronted by this weird thing. And many people who are not used to farming don't really understand fully. It's, you have to run a business that's highly competitive under the influence of the weather, and it always creates challenges. So our products, one of the benefits of our products is that they don't seem to be as fickle about the weather as typical biologicals do. We do sell live bacteria in our product holler, but to date we've seen that it works with almost all soils and plants and crops. You know, you have to follow the label, of course, 
So you do need to apply it at the right time and be careful about that. But some of what might be happening here is we start with such a much more highly effective biological that it's not as subject to the whims of the natural environment as a typical one. So it's much like an ag chemical would be. What about regulatory hurdles? Anything there? Yeah, you know, we, we're blessed in this country that to date the EPA has been very rational about how they handle the regulatory process for naturally occurring microbes like the ones we discover and develop. They have a special division within their Office of Pesticide Programs that's responsible for just biological products, and they do give these products expedited review. And that, that's a great thing for a company like ours that's you know relatively small and young where we actually can bring a product all the way to the market. So it doesn't require the, you know, you probably see the numbers kicked around the $150, $200 million to bring a new synthetic ag chemical to market. You're looking at a tiny fraction of that for one of these biologicals. Okay. We're going to take a little break here. When we come back, we'll um, talk about these products and how to tell if they work and if they're consistent. Stay tuned. Talking about microbial and biological products being made by companies like Ag Biome. And Eric and Scott, tell me, how can you tell if they work, number one? And number two, should they be and are they consistent with what they do? Well, I'll take the last one first, Scott. They are consistent. And you can tell they work because you can see disease is controlled and you can see that your crop is going to look better. So just like if you were to use a chemical fungicide, we don't actually really market as a biological as much as we do as a howler fungicide. That's what the actual label says. I think one thing worth talking about, Jody, is the broad spectrum of products that the term biological gets mm-hmm. applied to. So everything from, you know, kind of compost teas to plant extracts to various sorts of concoctions that help increase yield in some people's fields. So we're kind of differentiated from that. We're working really just in the crop protection space. So as Scott pointed out, we're looking for very high levels of efficacy. We know the pest or disease or or nematode or weed that we're trying to control. We have carefully monitored assays in the laboratory right from the get-go, and we know that those assays translate to what we see in the field. That's quite different from something that purports to give a yield increase. Those do work in some situations, but it's really difficult to find a biological that will consistently give you, you know, yield enhancement through growth promotion in different environments and different soil types. I know that's kind of the holy grail for a lot of companies, but nobody's really got the scientific capability to do that. And I want to echo something that Eric said. It's not just that we have laboratory tests that show that it works. We've taken this out to the field, literally thousands of field trials across multiple geographies, multiple different cropping situations, and multiple different disease pests, and we see very good efficacy that, again, is equivalent, in some cases even better than some of the ag chemicals. So we don't market it against every single fungal disease. You should look at the label. But where it works, it works profoundly well. And that, again, is very different than something that you're buying from a group that made the stuff in the garage and, you know, it's, it's a tea or something like that. That's not what this is. This is EPA-approved, 
we have a very clear-cut manufacturing process that creates a consistent product that works efficaciously. You know, I was just going to ask, you can find anything on the internet, so how does a producer decipher the snake oil products from the legitimate ones? You know, that's always tough, right? And I think, of course, the relationship with the trusted retailer or a crop advisor is a good way to go. Uh, A lot of people, you know, if they're the experimenting sort, never hurts to try something out, but it can be difficult to suss out which ones have real science behind them. One of the things that we talk about a lot is we've got a, a very rigorous scientific process that we go through. We have a terrific data platform behind everything. You know, we love to show people around the company so they can get a kind of hands-on look at what our discovery process is. I think it's worth digging in under the hood a little bit in all these cases to figure out what the science is behind the product. Should you go with like a university study or somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in that product to determine what the results are? Well, sure. I think, you know, among the best people to look to are the guys that are the experts at the university that's familiar with the cropping situation you're working in, right? Those, And we put a lot of trials out with those guys. They have a lot of influence over people, and they get their hands on a lot of different things, and they've seen what works and what doesn't. Coming up, we'll ask Scott and Eric about testing these products in your own fields and how to go about it. Stay tuned. So if a farmer is interested in these types of products, what's the best way for them to test them in their own fields? Obviously, the best way to get is to get a hold of the product, get it into your own hands, set aside a small set of your fields to check it out and see if it works in your hands. Everything performs differently for different people. Should you do something like a strip with the product and a strip without or, you know, acre with, acre without? Is that how they should go about it? Sure, that's that's absolutely best, but many growers will see a benefit just from using it in addition to their best practice that they already have. So either way. How do you use microbial and biological products? Are they a spray, a drench, granules? How do you apply them? There's a whole bunch of different product types out there, Jody. Our Howler is a dry flowable formulation. It's suitable for use in furrow. We also market it for over-the-top spray. We focus mostly on specialty crops for the -the over-the-top spray use, but we know it has great activity in the soil. So it's a a pretty interesting product to consider for an in-furrow application. As Scott said, on top is a normal best practice, you know, the seed treatment cocktail that you'd be using. And uh, coming soon, we'll have a seed treatment formulation. Now, some would say that if you have cover crops and good organic matter in your soil, you don't need to add these to it. What do you say? I think that's true in cases where you're looking at microbes whose job it is to help mobilize nutrients. I think that's almost certainly true. Unless you've got poor soils, you're probably not going to see an effect of those. Potent disease control biologicals like ours We're confident work regardless of the soil fertility, and we've seen that in multiple trials. Yeah, you're not going to get a cover crop that prevents rhizoctonia disease from causing damping off on your beans or corn. If you've got the disease there, you're still going to have it. Now, the other thing I would point out that cover crops work great in some locations and some soils, but as you go further north where the growing season is shorter, Good farmers are often reluctant to use a lot of cover crops because you just don't have the degree days you need to be able to get full benefit from them. In those cases, you really need something like holler. 
What do you guys predict for the future? What's ahead for microbes and biologicals? We're 100% convinced that they have a huge role to play in crop protection in the future. We've developed a whole category of products that we call conates, and these are combinations of chemical fungicides or insecticides with biologicals. And the benefits of those are a couple. One is, as you probably know, a lot of the chemicals have resistance develop against them. So either the disease or the insect will eventually develop resistance, or, or weeds for that matter. We've seen a lot of that. So adding a biological that acts in a completely different way from the chemical and hits that insect or disease or weed with a whole bunch of different active principles is able to overcome that resistance. In addition, it lets you decrease the rate of the chemical that you're using. And that can be particularly important in some cases where that chemical might be under some sort of regulatory scrutiny where people are trying to cut the amount that they're applying. And we've seen over and over in the field we get actual synergy between howler and the chemical fungicides that we added to. So we get a kind of one plus one is way better than two result out of that. I think in the next 20 years, you're going to see a revolution in biologicals that actually work well in agriculture. And to give you some kind of metrics here, Eric mentioned it earlier, but in the last 20 years, there really hasn't been any significant market share new products. There's a couple insecticides, but those were actually discovered more than 20 years ago. And there hasn't been any new herbicides or fungicides of, with brand new modes of action for a long, long time. The big ag companies that were doing all the discovery have screened literally millions of unique compounds to find those products that are on the market that growers can know and use and they trust now. But very few microbes have actually been screened for high activity, and those that are on the market tend to be ones that were found by an academic where they took a look at so-called suppressive soils or they saw a plant that was growing better and isolated a microbe from it. And these kind of anecdotal discovery processes are not what AgBomb does, and it's not what we think others are going to be doing in the near future, and where we're going to be able to find microbes that have that performance that growers come to expect from like what an ag chemical does, but it has the benefits of it being a microbial biological where it has a very favorable reentry period it has very favorable post-harvest interval. It has many other safety benefits as well as the high efficacy that they want. So we think that's just here on the horizon. Eric Ward and Scott Euknis, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Thank you for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Jody Henke.